Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Welcome to another McKnight's Newsmaker Podcast. I'm Jim Berkland, Executive Editor at McKnight's Long-Term Care News. And I tell you, we've got a really great session today. I'm so excited to say that we've got Fred Bentley, the ATI Managing Director and really a strategic consultant to leading post-acute and long-term care organizations all around the country. Fred's been at it quite a while. Fred, we want to jump right in. You are the keynote speaker at the upcoming NASL annual meeting, October 9th in Nashville. And you have a topic that is should be top of mind for everybody, shouldn't it? You're going to be talking about value-based payment and what providers can do. Where do you find them right now and, and why the urgency right now? Yeah, well, thank you for hosting me and thank you for the, the plug uh, for the, <laughs> the session in Nashville next month. Right. We're obviously in a very interesting time right now as an industry, as a country, <laughs> given that uh, while we're still Dealing with COVID, by and large, I think we're coming out of the pandemic, sort of in fits and starts. And so as we come out of the pandemic and sniff operators, long-term care organizations kind of take stock of, okay, where do we go from here? We've survived that, thankfully. The reality is that there will definitely be demand for skilled nursing care for post-acute care without a doubt. And it will likely, you know, increase steadily with the aging of the population. But for a variety of reasons, there are headwinds facing that business. There always have been, always will be, but it's, I think, dawning on a lot of the organizations we work with. And when we look at the numbers, similarly, that you know the smart organizations are figuring out, okay, we're going to stay in this business. This will still be our core post-acute business, but how else can we diversify? Where else can we start to generate revenues and build a sustainable business? And you look at the fact that Medicare Advantage, right, the managed care version of Medicare, um, of all the things that got turned upside down during the pandemic, Medicare Advantage kept growing. <laughs> it's just like, it, I don't want to call it an inexorable trend, but it was just like, man, this, like, it just keeps expanding. Medicare beneficiaries like and want what Medicare Advantage plans have to offer. And to be clear, this is the big bad wolf at the door. I think some people have characterized it, or as you said, they have not been nice to us. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So so you look at, okay, we're in a market where it's going to be tough to sustain a profitable business. It can be done in Medicare fee-for-service, but yeah, now Medicare Advantage is growing. And Medicare Advantage plans, first thing they do is come in and say, hey, we're going to pay you 90%, 80% of what you've been getting. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> welcome to the network. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, so you put that all together into your original question, sort of like, why now? Why are they thinking about value-based care? It is because there is a clear business imperative and an opportunity for some organizations to arguably move upstream and be in control in value-based care, whether that's launching a Medicare Advantage plan or getting into the Medicare Advantage space, developing their own accountable care organization, uh, lots of different options. Well, let's talk about that. What, what are realistic options and maybe what are options that people maybe didn't think were realistic, but now they better start thinking about again? Yeah. You know, I would say that getting into the Medicare Advantage business as a as an insurer or partnering with organizations and you know selling an insurance product was something that certainly up until about five years ago was 
unheard of in our industry. I would also say the idea of becoming an accountable care organization was just not something that all but a few of the biggest, most well-capitalized organizations in this space had thought about. And so I'm interested in that. Isn't that just for the big guys? How do I get started? What should I do? Yeah. So it isn't just for the big guys now. It is certainly the case as with any new model or moving into a new business area uh, or as an industry starts to evolve, it's typically some of the bigger better capitalized organizations that can kind of, you know, they've got some capital to work with. But we are seeing smaller regional long-term care operators seriously exploring the opportunity to develop what's called an institutional special needs plan, which is a essentially a Medicare Advantage insurance product that is designed for individuals residing in a long-term care facility. And they're doing that in part as I was saying earlier, because they see the business imperative <laughs> to find some new revenue streams and new new sustainable business models. But there are also, uh, there is a growing cohort of organizations out there like Kirana Health, which recently changed its name from Ally Align uh, to PPHP, to American Health Partners, to Longevity. It's this kind of cottage industry of organizations that partner with long-term care providers to launch ISNPs and which is the, again, the acronym for this special needs plan, this unique kind of Medicare Advantage product for long-term care residents. So there's now a, an industry out there. Now, you know, your small rural independent operator, uh, that's, you know, it, I don't want to pretend that, oh yeah, you know, anybody and everybody can do this. That's, that's certainly not the case. And there are also going to still be markets where, you know, Medicare Advantage really hasn't taken hold. And so, you know, you're going to be selling a product that people don't want. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I don't want to pretend that this is a magic bullet or a panacea. But again, to your question, kind of looking beyond the big guys and the kind of the leading lights in the industry. Yes, I think we are starting to see a lot more organizations and and maybe not mom and pop per se, but certainly smaller regional players looking to get into this. Okay. Now I'm getting the vibe that really your message is you don't have to just sit around and take this meaning, you know, the onslaught. Right. So what are some other viable alternatives if say the ISNIP isn't your cup of tea? Yeah. So some organizations have said, we're not ready to get into the insurance game, but we do want to move up the food chain. And we actually worked with a number of long-term care organizations that applied for and are going to be moving forward with participation in the latest ACO program that Medicare announced. It's called ACO Reach. And essentially, it's a, a model that is, um, or it's an accountable care organization where you take very significant financial upside and downside risk. So this is not kind of easing into it, um, but they uh, there are ways that long-term care organizations in partnership with physician groups, that's something I want to come back to because that is central to just about everything we're talking about here. Sure. But in partnership with those groups, they're saying, hey, we can participate in this and we've got a, you know, we can manage our residents' care more effectively and capture the upside of that. So I was pleasantly surprised at, at how many organizations in the long-term care and sort of post-acute space applied 
for that program. There are other types of Medicare, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Medicare ACOs, namely the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which has been around forever, will be around forever. And we do see there is a route and there's a path for post-acute providers to, to get into that space. That said, you know, we're still talking about pretty well capitalized, you know, fairly large organizations that are either going to do the ISNP or the ACO, maybe both. So, right. That question is, all right, if I'm smaller and I can't do that, what's, what's the play here? And that's where I think we, we have to get out of the mindset of, well, I'm just going to be the best darn sniff in the world. I mean, that's important. And don't get me wrong. And I don't mean to, to belittle that, but it's not enough. We have just seen time and again, and I used to go out and present and talk about, hey, you could enter into innovative value-based contracts with ACOs and, and plans. They're not doing it. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's not happening. Certainly not at the level that I was hoping that we would see. So you have to start thinking about, okay, so how do we crack into the value-based care space? As I mentioned earlier, almost all of the value-based care programs have primary care at the at the heart of them. It's really the primary care physicians who are driving the bus, and that's that was true of just about every you know administration that's been involved in value-based care and been running CMS. So it really behooves you as an operator to hit your wagon to a good primary care group. First and foremost, because they can come into your building, provide better care for your residents, better care coordination. And honestly, it doesn't cost you anything. So it's good for the residents. So I don't want to <laughs> overlook that very critical point. But it also then gives you the option of, hey, can we partner with these primary care physicians on risk-based arrangements? Could they do some sort of interesting capitated arrangement with a payer? And then they delegate some of that risk to us to manage. Now, again, that still takes a certain level of sophistication, and that's not going to be playing out in all markets, and not all primary care groups are ready to do that. But I think it's time for our industry to be thinking about we can't stick in our swim lane as the best darn sniff in such and such county or whatever market. Like, okay. you won't have a play. Okay. <laughs> You'll be in the networks, which is good, okay. and that's important to be in a preferred network, but that is not sufficient. Yeah. Now. You know, you keep throwing around this term risk and we all read you have to be risk uh, welcoming and everything like that. But ironically, it's really risky not to do that is what I'm hearing, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it's it's such a great way of reframing it because. Right. Again, Medicare, you just look at in the post acute and long term care space, Medicare is the big payer. We are quickly approaching a world where in most markets, one out of every two Medicare beneficiaries is in Medicare Advantage. So <laughs> they're already in, you know, a very different world and one that just by its nature involves risk. And to your point, yeah, you can kind of keep doing what you're doing, but you're going to get pay cuts and you're going to be working with MA plans that are looking to try and avoid you. So to your point, that is a risky proposition. And I have yet to go into a market where I haven't, I've seen Medicare Advantage plans come in and say, hey, we love SNFs. We want to pay you full Medicare fee for service and keep your utilization. That, that just is never going to happen in, in our lifetimes. So, right, it's, it's, I think, riskier to just sit back and wait for that to happen. 
And then same thing on the Medicare fee-for-service side. It's not as if that's steady state and not changing at all. As we've just talked about, more and more ACOs are coming online. There are more alternative payment models out there. And so to just kind of sit back and hope that everything works for the best <laughs> and bide your time until retirement, that that is the risky proposition and the one that you don't want to go in front of your board or your community and say, hey, we're just... Yeah, okay. we're going to let all this pass us by. Okay, truly a, a time to call for proactivity, and no doubt on that. So give me a reason for providers to be optimistic in this day and age. Surely there must be something, because otherwise this could get a little depressing hearing about all these threats. Yeah, so I'm optimistic for a couple of reasons. As, as I said, I do think that that core skilled nursing business, the core post-acute care business, if you can survive a pandemic, <laughs> which let's not forget, the industry has weathered a storm unlike any other storm hopefully we will ever see again, God willing. While it's not a, like going to be a phenomenal business to be in, it will. there will be growth there. It'll be fine. It will be okay. I guess I'm optimistic that even as you stay in that business and you, you know, there are ways to diversify and it's not just Fred Bentley coming on and kind of spouting off about this. We have seen a number of organizations go down this path and actually have success. We've also seen some that have struggled. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say that this is a no brainer proposition far, far from it, but it can be done. It has been done. It has been done well. I also think the extent to which more post-acute and long-term care providers get into value-based care, whether that's launching an ACO or being involved in an ISNIP in some form or fashion, it opens more doors. It opens more opportunities because the folks on sitting on the sidelines there saying, eh, they're not really going to be able to do this, are now saying, oh, wow, there's really a business opportunity here. These guys can pull this off. Maybe we'll try it this way. So I, I think that kind of innovation is another thing that's really exciting that I think is going to create a lot of new growth opportunities going forward, but very different from what we've seen. Well, I think that's one thing people always say is that the only constant is change, right? Indeed. So it's really kind of making me wonder, what else can providers look forward to? Yeah, I think there there's several things to look forward to. So what we've just talked about are different ways that post-acute and long-term care providers can really gain ground and capture growth and new opportunities in the value-based care space, whether that's getting into a special needs plan or launching an ACO, but that's just one path, right? There are lots of other ways that organizations can diversify off of a sniff business that will be steady as she goes. You know, I don't think it's going to tank, but you know, it, it, it's just going to be kind of steady state. But what's exciting is really recognizing and getting into home-based care in a big way. And, and here again, this is something that we had been talking about pre-pandemic, but the pandemic really accelerated the demand and interest and capability of providers to deliver a whole array of services up to and including SNF services, skilled nursing care services in the home. So I think there is a real opportunity for, frankly, organizations that have really been focused on bricks and mortar and SNFs, you know, and facility-based care to move into the home-based care space, whether that's home care, home health, hospice and palliative care. There are lots of options. 
Um, and I do think that that post-acute providers do have a unique opportunity there as compared to other organizations that are thinking about that space. I think that's, yeah, that's an exciting thing. And then there are also just ways to diversify within, say, you know, a senior living setting or long-term care setting more broadly around pharmacy, lab, diagnostics. Now, there's some challenges around those businesses. They're, they're competitive business lines. They get a little challenging in uh, a Medicare Advantage world where they're looking at value and looking to drive down <laughs> utilization. But again, perhaps in the shorter term, there's growth there, there's opportunity, and it's a natural kind of extension for uh, post-acute providers to move into those uh, business lines. All righty. Well, as you put it, it's no time to sit still. It's really time to get moving and get some sort of vision. There's no doubt about it. And we're very glad that we had you here to give us an excellent vision from your point of view. We've been listening to Fred Bentley, ATI Managing Director and a strategic consultant to so many long-term care organizations around the country. We've really been blessed with that. We want to thank Fred. We want to thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This is Jim Berklin wishing you good health and outstanding days ahead. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit McKnight's.com.